All right, well, if you have your Bibles, turn again, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, we were there last week. We were in Philippians for a couple of weeks. Uh, we were in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, and this will be our uh, last sermon in regards to the pursuit, but you will continually hear us speak about pursuing God throughout the year because that's what we're after, right? We're after His presence in Jesus' name. Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come and celebrate you. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, God, that you meet with us here, that, Father, you touch and you heal and you restore. We believe that you are the restorer of broken things. And, Lord, when we mess up and when we make mistakes and when our lives are broken, we are grateful that you are here to pick us up, put us back together and restore. Thank you for that word this morning. And now, Father, as we approach the word of God, we ask that you would open up our hearts and our understanding that we might comprehend what your word is saying to us, I'm asking you to plant a seed in our hearts that will motivate us and move us towards you in a greater way. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we, are also, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. The pursuit. Today I want to talk about confronting, confronting the obstacles. Now I hope that in the last few weeks that maybe I have planted a seed in you for the pursuit of God. I hope that Something has stirred in your heart to say, I want to do more than just exist as a Christian. I want to do more than just go to church on Sunday and do my Sunday thing and do my, my obligation of, of being at church and get a passion in our hearts to go after God. Because I want you to see the beauty. I want you to see the wonder. I want you to see the fulfillment. I want you to see the joy of what it means to pursue the lover of your soul. And so let me just announce to you here this morning, God loves you, and He's calling to us to seek Him. And we've been discussing the call to pursue. David said that God has said unto our hearts, seek my face. And we want to respond with David by saying, your face, O Lord, will I seek. Will you, will you agree with me in that today? Some of you are saying, well, I don't hear His voice. Well, here it is. Seek my face. And I pray that your response is, oh Lord, your face will I seek. Now we've encouraged you to do five things to keep the flame alive and passionate in your pursuit after God. We've been talking about them on Wednesday nights. Uh, if you haven't been there, you can come and hear the next two. All right, but we encourage you with five things. You're going to, you're going to pray, right? Some of us, we need to stop for just a few moments and think, when do I pray? Do I take the opportunity to pray? Some of us need to find that place where we actually get on our knees and pray. I know it's easy for us in the rush of everyday life to uh, throw up prayers here and there as we go. But if we want to seek God, if we really want to know God, if we really want to pursue, pursue God and press into God, we've got to find time to pray. Can I get an amen? amen. We've got to pray. We've got to read our Bibles, right? We've got to read our Bibles. I know this morning you read three verses. You read three verses this morning. You started out. You're, you're doing okay. If you want to 
you want to read the rest of this chapter, I know it's hard. There's 29 verses, all right? All right, so you just got 26 more, and you got a whole chapter today, right? Of course, the last verse is, for our God is a consuming fire. I don't know if you want to get to there, but... Read your Bible, right? Then we want to, we, we want to worship. We want to take time to worship, not just here on Sunday morning as, as a corporate body, which we need that. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together, that we are supposed to come together as the people of God and sing songs and hymns and making melody with our heart to the Lord. That's what we're supposed to do. But we need to be worshipers on a daily basis. Well, so we lift our hands, our hearts, and sing, but we worship God also with our service, which is what we talked about Wednesday evening. So we're going to pray, read our Bibles, we're going to worship. The fourth thing we're going to do is what? <clears throat> that was five, but that's good. Share our faith is five. Four is what? Fellowship with other believers. We want to fellowship with those who are going in the same direction that we're going in. We want to fellowship with those who are going to encourage us to pursue God. And then finally, number five, we're going to share our faith. We're going to tell people about Jesus. We're going to share our testimony. We're going to invite people to church. You know what? If we will do those things, it will keep our heart passionate for God. I don't know anybody that prays, reads their Bibles, worships, fellowships, and shares their faith that is also in the middle of backsliding. I also try to remind you of the enjoyment of this pursuit. This is not about God trying to shame us or make us feel bad. I'm not up here trying to condemn you or trying to make you feel like that you don't measure up because you haven't prayed enough or read your Bible enough. But there is joy in the presence of God. If we can just recognize that this pursuit of God is not just religion, it's not just obligation, it is literally the fulfillment of the depths of our soul. And last week we discussed that the pursuit of God is the pursuit of holiness. But Without holiness, no one, no one will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So we can have it all together on the outside. This morning we could have lifted our hands in worship because we knew that somebody was watching us. But you know what God is watching? He's watching our hearts. And as we talked about Wednesday night, He told the religious folks, you draw near to me with your mouth, but your hearts are far from me. And that's the challenge that we have to take here today in this pursuit of God. This pursuit of God is not outward religious duties. It's a heart that's hungry and thirsty for God. And if we are not hungry, and if we are not thirsty, then there's something wrong, right? I want to remind you of this exhortation from A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God. I read this to you the first week. But I want to remind you of this quote. He says, I want to deliberately to encourage this mighty longing after God. The lack of it has brought us to our present low estate. The stiff and wooden quality about our religious lives is a result of our lack of holy desire. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. Too bad that with many of us he waits so long, so very long in vain. I encourage you. God is wanting you to know him and pursue him. And this has been a challenge to me in this new year because it is so easy to get caught up in the motions of Christianity, and the motions of ministry, that it doesn't bleed over into your everyday life and how we treat our spouses, our children, the folks that we work with. This is the pursuit of God. So this week, I want to confront the obstacles 
that I want to let you know is most definitely going to stand in our way if we commit our hearts to truly chasing after God. There is nothing more important that we can do in our lives than to set our hearts to consistently and intimately seek God. Which means, if there's nothing more important than that, that means that there is nothing that the enemy is going to hate more than your spiritual hunger and thirst for God. Don't think for just a minute that if you decide, if you respond to the call of God, that there aren't going to be demons and devils that raise their ugly head to keep you from pursuing God. There are, the, the enemy is not afraid of just church-going people. But he is afraid of hungry, thirsty, passionate, faith-filled people. There's nothing that is going to be more contrary to the world and how it operates than our spiritual pursuit. If you decide to start pursuing God and maybe deciding to cut some things out of your life because you're pursuing the Lord, the world might even look at you like they're confused. What are you doing? You're missing out, right? You're missing out on these things. You, should, you can have more, right? When, we, when they don't even recognize that what they're missing out on is what they've been longing for their entire lives. There's nothing that's going to make our flesh resist us more than the pursuit of holiness. Why? Because it demands that we crucify the old way of thinking, and the old way of living. So our flesh is going to rise up and say, I don't think you ought to do this. right? So there are going to be obstacles, and we have to be prepared for them. The enemy's not cheering for you. The world's not cheering for you, nor is your flesh. The spirit might be willing, but the flesh is weak. right? There are going to be obstacles. So last week, we talked about the fact that Uh, how things that are worth something to us cost something. If we're going to follow after God, if we're going to pursue holiness, then that means we have to put to death some things. So it costs us something. But we also know that any level of success we have in any area of our life is not easy. Am I right? Is there anybody in here that just thinks life's always easy? You just get up and everything's easy. This is so easy. right? I mean, I, I, I can't even get out of bed without it. This is hard. Yeah. Like I mentioned to you before, it was like little Johnny. He was getting on the bus to go to school. And he didn't want to get on the bus. And his mom said, Johnny, why don't you get on the bus? He said, because I don't like school. She said, why don't you like school? He said, because it's long, it's hard, and it's boring. And she said, Johnny, you just described life. Get on the bus. <laughs> we know it's hard. We talked last week, we exercise because we want to be healthy, and it hurts, but we push through through the hurt and the pain because we know that there's a reward at the end of it. But the pushing through is not always easy. It's hard to push through. But if we think about it, the most valuable things in our lives, the most rewarding things in our lives, the most important things in our lives are lots of times hard. Marriage is beautiful, and it's the most Christ-honoring, supposed to be the most Christ-honoring, most Christ-like loving relationship on earth. Matter of fact, the marriage is supposed to be a microcosm of what the church is supposed to look like. But it isn't always easy. Sometimes it takes work. It takes a purposeful decision to put the needs of your spouse above your own. But because of love and the value of it, we do the hard things. How many of you know that raising kids can be the most rewarding and Joyful thing that's ever happened in your life. But raising kids is not easy. 
They can drive us nuts. They can keep us on our knees and on our toes all at the same time. They can love us one day and hate us the next. But because we love them, because we value the gift that they are. Remember that, parents. The gift that they are, we do the hard things. We do the hard things. There's no greater calling than the pursuit of God. The rewards cannot be compared with any type of earthly satisfaction. And it leads us to the one who has rescued our souls. But that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It can be hard to crucify the flesh. It can be hard to say no to the spell of the world and the temptation of the enemies. And it's not easy to push through when it seems like everything is going haywire in our lives. Can you agree with that? As Don said this morning, God's greatness and goodness doesn't have to do with what situation we're going through. So but just because we're not having a good day does not mean that God's not good. Just because we're not having a great day doesn't mean that God's not great. He's still good. He's still great. And we thank Him for our food. That doesn't rhyme, does it? He is good. And our pursuit of God should not be determined by how we're feeling or what we're going through. But that does. Those are the hard times. There are times that we literally just have to make the decision. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to pursue His face. Because if we truly love God and we recognize the internal treasure that He is, we push through the hard things. This passage in Hebrews reminds us that the pursuit of God and the pursuit of His purpose for our lives is a race. And a race takes time, it takes patience, and it takes the ability to endure. And we have to be in shape in order to finish a race. And this spiritual race demands that we be in spiritual shape, which means it does demand time and patience and the ability to endure. Those that endure, the Bible says, those that endure to the end, the same shall be saved. But in order to run the race successfully, we have to be able to confront the obstacles, or what Hebrews here calls weights and sin that does so easily beset us. Now, before we look at those weights and sins, the book of Hebrews was written to a church that was getting old. And they were settling into the world. They were losing their passion. They were starting to drift through life without focus, without vigilance, without energy. Their hands were growing weak. Their knees were becoming feeble. And it was just easier for them to just go, through the, go with the crowd than it was to run this long race. Because this is not a sprint, folks. This is a marathon that we're in. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, the writer says, We must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. In chapter 2, verse 3, he mentions, How shall we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation. So into this church had crept the disease of drifting and neglecting. The people of this church were growing careless, spiritually lazy, and negligent. That's not a good description, is it? And it reminds me of Jesus speaking to the churches in the book of Revelation... Every time he spoke to them, he said, I know, I've seen, I know, I know where you are. No matter where you are in here today, no matter how well you may keep yourself hidden from everybody else around you, 
Jesus knows. He knows. And the folks in Hebrews, they had gotten spiritually lazy, content. They were starting to drift. They were neglecting the salvation that God had given them. I want you to listen to this warning in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, this is a, this is a, this is a message to a church. Right? He's not talking to people that don't know the Lord. Take heed, brethren and sistren. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Christians, an evil heart of unbelief that will cause you to do what? Depart from the living God. Not an evil heart of unbelief that keeps you receiving stuff. Not an evil heart of unbelief that keeps you from getting seven steps to prosperity. An evil heart of unbelief that literally causes you to depart from the living God. But then exhort each other while it's called today, because today's all we've got. Why? If I don't exhort you, then your heart may become hardened by the deceitfulness, the lies, the sneakiness of sin. This warning reminds them that we're going to take heed, we're going to take care, to recognize how important the walk with God was, and in our case, to see how important the pursuit of God is. It seems that they had developed somewhat of a false sense of security or did not see the importance of any longer pressing in to God. Hebrews chapter 6 gives us a lot of warnings about those who have tasted of the goodness of God and now have turned their back. They are treading, literally treading upon the blood of Jesus. A lazy spiritual attitude had seeped in and made them not see the urgency of their fellowship together, their prayer times, their Bible reading, their fight against sin. Their passion was slipping and they were beginning to coast through life. You ever been in a place like that? You're just coasting, right? What is coasting? Coasting means that you're living off past momentum. If you're coasting, you're living off past power and past experience and past momentum. But the problem with coasting is, is you're still moving forward, so you think everything's okay. You're coasting forward, but you're slowly slowing down. Why? Because we can't live forever off past momentum. We can't live forever off past experiences with God. We can't live forever after, off past prayers. We can't live forever off someone laying hands on us. We can't, we can't live forever based off somebody else's worship, somebody else's obedience, somebody else's word. Eventually, we have to seek God. It is that important. And it was this condition of the church that Hebrews chapter 12 is written. The writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, listen, guys, you're coasting. You're starting to become a little negligent. You're starting to drift. There's an evil heart of unbelief sinking in to your life. And so you have to recognize, I think somebody knocked on the door over here. 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 
It was in this condition, the condition of the church in Hebrews, that reminds us here in Romans, in Hebrews chapter 12, that we are supposed to lay aside weights, or one translation says encumbrances, and sin that would distract us, as well as knocks at the door that will instract, distract us from the pursuit of God. Did Don go outside? Okay. Doors closed. God bless it. <clears throat> we'll wait just a minute. Yeah. So it was in this condition in Hebrews chapter 12 that it reminds us to lay aside weights, encumbrances, and sin that distract us from the things of God. And here's the thing, folks. This is the entire point of the whole book of Hebrews. Endure. Persevere, run, fight, be alert, be strengthened, don't drift, don't neglect, don't be sluggish. This is the entire point of the book of Hebrews. He's writing to a bunch of seasoned Christians who had settled in to half-hearted, lukewarm Christianity, and he's reminding them, if you're going to win, then you need to endure, persevere, you need to run, you need to fight, you need to be alert, you need to be strengthened, you don't drift, you don't neglect, you don't be sluggish in following after God. This is the call to us, church, to our own individual lives. In other words, do whatever it takes to run the race that is set before you. Do whatever it takes to pursue this all-loving, all-wise, always-good God who wants us to know Him. And in order to do that, it means that we must confront the obstacles because anything we do in life is going to have obstacles. Reasons why we can't, reasons why we should quit, reasons why we shouldn't even try. But if we want what we want, then we do the hard things. And so I promise you, if you truly want the presence of God in your life, and here's the thing, I can't make you want something you don't want. I can only encourage you, I can only exhort you, I can only, I can only come and try to push you along and prod you along, but I can't make you want what you don't want. This is something that you have to pursue God for. And so I promise you, if you truly want the presence of God manifested in your life, you are going to face obstacles. You're going to face obstacles from within. You're going to face obstacles from without. You're going to face obstacles from the spiritual realm. You're going to face obstacles from the natural realm. There are always going to be reasons why we can't pray, why we can't read our Bible. There are always reasons why we should quit going to church or quit worshiping or quit pursuing God. There's always going to be reasons why we should just not even try at all. The enemy is always going to remind you, you remember what you did? You remember how you failed? You remember how you messed up? You may as well not even try. Y'all ever heard that voice before? I have. And we know that the devil is a what? Liar! There's always going to be reasons why we can't, reasons why we should quit, and reasons why we shouldn't try. But the command is to run. So let's run. Let's run. Confronting isn't easy in and of itself. Confronting means that we have to recognize things that need to be addressed that may very well make us uncomfortable. How many would agree with that? Some of you avoid confrontation because you don't like conflict. You don't even like conflict with yourself. 
So you're afraid to confront yourself, right? <clears throat> but isn't that what we have to do if we're going to run this race? We have to take the time to be confrontive. But also confrontation, not only does it sometimes mean conflict, confrontation means that we have to be vulnerable, that we have to be honest. And some of us are allergic to those things. We hide, we cover up, we put masks on. But what we do not confront, we cannot change. So what are the obstacles? What are the obstacles? Hebrews mentions weights or encumbrances and sins. Let's start with sin. It's a subject we all have in common, but nobody wants to talk about. We talked about holiness last week, so I just want to remind us of the damaging, distracting nature of sin. There are times in our lives that we have to be deeply honest with ourselves and the condition of our hearts. Why? Because sin is sneaky. We justify it. We cover it up. We hide it. We call it by different names. We do everything except confront it. But we have to quit fooling ourselves, folks, into thinking that we can entertain or maybe even in some cases live in sin and still run this race. <laughs> and I was like, really? We have to stop fooling ourselves into thinking that we can pursue God while holding on to sin. Yeah. Um, and here's the thing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's adultery or lust. It doesn't matter if it's murder or hate. It doesn't matter if it's pride or false humility. It doesn't matter if it's hypocrisy or fear. Sin, the Bible says, bites like a poisonous snake. And its only reward is nothing less than death. The wages of sin is death. The prophet Ezekiel said, the soul that sins, it shall die. That's not a, that's not a comfortable message to hear anymore. It's not a, it's not a popular message to, heal, to hear because we want to talk about how God loves us, and He does. But God loves us to the point that He brings us to a place where we must recognize that which is killing us, that which is damaging us. And when we entertain sin, when we play around with sin, we don't realize the damage and the scars that it's leaving behind. And so while we hide and cover up things like lust and cover up things like pride and cover up things like anger and cover up things like hatred or unforgiveness and we make a pet out of our sin, it's literally slowly destroying our lives. Now, the, thing, the problem is many times with sin in our hearts and in our lives is that we always look at ourselves differently than everyone else. My sin is not that bad, right? Nobody's sin is ever that bad, is it? Mine's not that bad. I mean, come on. It's not like I killed someone, right? But yet we foster in our own hearts things that we don't want to admit and that we don't want to confront. What is the only thing we can do with sin? We confront it with the light of God's truth, right? Because we, we can't, if we're going to repent, repentance doesn't mean, you know, God, 
you know, I know it was probably wrong, shouldn't have done it, but, you know, Kelly did this, so that's why I did it. And, you know, that's not repentance, is it? We have to confront what it is. We don't come to God and say, hey, God, I got a problem. God, I have an issue. No, you don't. You have sin. Right? Deal with, confront what it is by the light of God's truth, repent of it, and fall on the grace of God. Because the grace of God not only forgives us, but it empowers us to then live the life of holiness that brings praise and glory to God. It is the grace of God that makes us fighters against sin itself. Sin is not a light thing. And if we're going to pursue God, we have to confront it. I won't stay there much longer, but just as a pre-announcement, we will revisit this subject at a later date. (laughs) The second thing, the second thing that he mentions is the weights. Or one translation calls it an encumbrance. And these may be the very things that are holding us back the most. Weights and encumbrances are many times hidden in our lives And so it means that we have to make a conscious effort to uncover them. We have to make a conscious effort to allow God's word and God's truth to pierce and penetrate in our hearts. Show me, God, what weights, what encumbrances I'm allowing to be in my life. Now, we all know that an encumbrance or an obstacle is something that is in our way. An obstacle is something that stands in the way of our goal. So if our goal is to pursue God and God's presence, then obstacles and encumbrances in our lives are keeping us from pursuing God to the fullest extent. And the writer of Hebrews makes a distinction between weights and sin. You notice that there, right? Lay aside the weight and the sin. He makes a difference between the two, which means that these weights are not necessarily sin. But they are still obstacles none the least, less, and they should be removed. They should be confronted, and they should be laid aside, the Bible says. So if we are going to pursue God and successfully run this race, we have to change how we look at the weights. We have to change how we look at these encumbrances. Now, what do I mean by that? Stay with me here just a second. The real question we have to ask is not necessarily what's wrong with this or that. The question that we ask is not even necessarily is this sin or not. Being in youth ministry, those of you who have ever been in youth ministry, if you ever ministered to teenagers, you've probably heard the question, how far is too far? You ever heard that question when they're talking about their relationship with, with their boyfriend or girlfriend? How far is too far? If I do this with my girlfriend or I do that with my boyfriend, is that too far? It's almost like they want a rule book that says, okay, you can go here, but you can't go here, right? How far is too far? But really, we do that lots of times in every area of our lives. We're saying, well, it's, at, at least I'm not doing this. At least it's not this far. So the real question that we're asking is not what's wrong with it or is this sin. If we want to lay aside encumbrances We need to ask, does it motivate me to pursue God? Does it help me in my pursuit of God? Or even better, is this thing in my way of pursuing God? In other words, it may not be sin, but it's still in your way. 
It may not be sin, but it's not helping you. It's not helping you. So it's not how far is too far, but is this relationship helping me? Or is it hurting me? Is it standing in my way? So in other words, we don't really ask of our relationships. Or let's get, let's get personal here just a minute. We don't ask about the movies we watch or the books we read or the music we listen to or the places we go or the habits that we have or the attitudes that we have or the text messages that we send or the messages or the Facebook posts. We don't really ask the question, what's wrong with it? We should really be asking the question, do these relationships, do these things that I surround my life with, do they stand in the way of me pursuing God? Or do they distract me from running after Jesus? Now, some of you are like, Mark, you're just getting too serious. Okay. All right. I, and, and again, I'm not saying that, that these things in our lives are necessarily wrong. But that's not the question we're asking. Because here's what happened. Weights can be good things in our lives that we literally turn into idols. We take things that God blessed us with and then we put more trust and more faith in what God gave us than in God who gave it to us. We turn them into idols. So anything that we find our greatest fulfillment in, anything that we find our purpose or meaning in, Anything that we place our trust in more than God becomes an idol, and therefore it becomes an encumbrance. So when we feel our hearts drifting, when we feel our hearts drifting and being pulled by worldly things, or being pulled by the influence of worldly friends, we may not have stepped directly into sin, but we're facing an obstacle. When we entertain things that arouse our flesh, even though we haven't, quote, gone all the way, We're placing weights in our lives. If we find ourselves living as close to the world and as close to sin as we can without jumping all the way in, we're placing obstacles in our lives. The weights and the encumbrances, folks, are just simple distractions of life that we may not even have to completely get rid of. We just need to fix our priorities. Right? We're allowed to enjoy things in life. I'm not saying you can't have friends who are unsaved. I'm not saying that you can't have a hobby. I'm not saying that you can't read books or watch a movie or listen to music. That's not the point. The point is sometimes, maybe it's not that we necessarily have to take these things and cast them out of our lives. We just need to fix our priorities. If we're going to pursue Jesus, then it's Jesus first always. Jesus first always. And it should be that important to us. And it should be that serious to us. And so that if God does come along and put his finger on our heart and say, hey, you're starting to drift, then we recognize it's Jesus first. I know maybe I might disappoint some of my friends or maybe I might have to not go to this place or maybe I I have to change my attitude or the way I think. But you know what? I'm going to continue to pursue Jesus. So there are all kinds of things, folks, that, that... weights that we can face because there are demonic forces that don't want you to pursue God and we have to have the courage to stand in faith against them you know our past can be an obstacle but God's grace helps us deal with our past he helps us leave it behind he then allows us to press forward our failures can be an obstacle 
So we don't have to let failure in the past determine the success of our futures. You don't have to stay trapped in the past. Why? Because it's over. What happened, happened. There's nothing we can do about it. But we can do something about where we are going today. And if we choose to pursue God, He will help you move from your past. I promise you. Pain can be a weight. Our heartbreak and our messed up lives cause us to get trapped in our pain. We allow ourselves to be defined by what we're going through instead of who Jesus made us. And it's not, maybe not just even emotional pain, it can be physical pain. Most of us will admit that our physical pain many times distracts us from seeking God. But we have to recognize that life's not always going to be fair and we can't allow what happens to us to define what's happening in us. Because if you pursue God, He is greater and He is the healer of our pain. Fear can be a weight. Worry, doubt, unforgiveness, anger, financial setbacks. These can all be weights and possibly even sins that stand in our way. But if we are going to pursue God and take it seriously, we have to know that obstacles are going to come. And if we will set our heart to seek God, we have to have a warfare mentality because that is what you're going to face. Make no mistake about it. You set your heart to seek God and it will raise up forces against you. But let us not forget the reward. Let us not forget the value of the treasure we seek. This world can only bring us so much joy and happiness, but to take hold of God, and for that which Christ Jesus has took, taken hold of us, is the deepest of joys. Amen. So I want to announce to you this morning, I want more of that. I want more of that. You know, and I, and I feel as though, as your pastor, and as a fellow Christian walking with you, that I should repent if that is not the pursuit of my heart. We should be able to look at one another and say, hey, I want to pursue God with you. And if I'm not doing it, I want you to tell me. I want you to encourage me. I want you to exhort me. I want to go home in my bedroom, become the holy place. My prayer closet, become the holy place. I don't want to be satisfied anymore with coasting or living off old feelings, or past momentum, or an old relationship with God. So today I pray that our hearts would turn towards God as He has turned towards us. And we will declare today, I pray right now, from your heart you will declare with me, I will pursue. I will pursue. If I haven't started yet, I will. If I'm not praying, I'm going to. If I'm not reading my Bible, I'm going to. I will pursue. Bow your heads with me here this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, how grateful we are for the challenge to pursue you. I'm thankful, Jesus, that this morning you don't call us to pursue you out of condemnation and guilt, but you call us to pursue you because in your presence there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So God, remind us and stir us. Say to our hearts, seek my face. And God, your face will we seek. In the name of Jesus, God, give us the courage. Father, give us the courage to see the sin and to see the weights and the encumbrances that stand in front of us. Help us see the obstacles. 
speak to our hearts here this morning, we pray. Draw us into your presence so that, Lord, more than ever, we will walk close to God. 